On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by cardiologist Dr. Paddy Barrett, chatting all things cardiovascular disease. The way I look at this is that the the two statistics that everyone should really be aware of is cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death globally and in most developed nations, but it's also the most preventable. 90% of it can be prevented at an early stage if you just follow the right steps and formula. So I look at it as a, a scary opportunity. As ever available on all podcast platforms. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode of the Indo Daily contains language some listeners may find offensive. If I felt for one second, for one second, I was a little bit out of order, I'd apologise and I'd go back. But I'm 100% right. I know I am. In 2002, for the third time in 12 years, Ireland had qualified for the World Cup in Japan after a playoff with Iran. Duff in close attendance, Keane is fouled, Duff helping it on towards Finna, Finna facing Kaku. And a little cross in there, and it's come through here! Back at here! World Cup fever gripped the nation. Roy Keane was considered one of the greatest footballers of his generation. He was captain of Ireland and Manchester United. This is Keane, trying to find some room, and he has! Here came the good times, or so we thought. But the on-pitch action would forever be overshadowed by the off-pitch drama in Saipan. Captain Roy Keane was threatening to abandon the side at the very moment he was needed most. It's been a troublesome 24 hours in paradise for Roy Keane. Some personal problems which are personal to him and uh, he has to go home. And I went for my meal at half six on the Thursday and I was told it was a meet and a half at seven. And I knew what it was all about, I knew. My, my thought when it was going off, they, they, they are absolutely going to come to blows here. The biggest story in Irish sporting history had erupted on a faraway Pacific island. A story that divided the nation. Screaming matches among journalists, because it was a civil war. It, you were either on Mick's side, his side or Roy's side. As a Man United supporter, the amount of stupid arguments I got into will be a far against Roy me. I tell people the truth, and they think it's hell. What about all the little kids in Ireland who view you as a role model, who love you, and who are absolutely appalled that this row has taken place? It's not the Republic of Mick McCarthy. No. It's not the Republic of Roy Keane either. I wouldn't have any regrets. I've never lost a wink of sleep. Everything came to a head that week in Saipan, but tensions had been building for years between Keane and manager Mick McCarthy. Kevin Colban won over 100 caps for Ireland and was a key member of the squad in 2002. Everybody knew there was history. It was even prior to me being in the squad and it was something that was spoken about that Mick and Roy don't get on. Honestly, I never, I never saw it bubbling over. I, they'd obviously had words in the past with each other privately and things like this, but it honestly never, it never came to become a problem for anybody within the squad because we never, we never really bothered about, about the, the things that had gone on in the past and you know, we'd all been around enough dressing rooms in the past and enough, we'd seen enough arguments in the past to think, look, they don't get on with each other and that's pretty much it. You're, getting on, you're, just, you're just here to, to play a game or to, to do the business and that's it, you just get back. Vincent Hogan is a sports writer with the Irish Independent. 
I think it would have been known that um, there were certainly issues between them. Um, we all had that famous handshake after the Dutch game in, in, in Lansdowne Road where Mick is reaching across to shake his hand after that famous 1-0 win where Jason McAteer gets, gets the goal and, and Roy Keane has just given this extraordinary performance which started with that crushing tackle on Mark Overmars in the first minute which set the tone for the whole game and um, it, he was such um, he was such a central point of that whole team Mick McCarthy's team but there was a, an edge between them and, and, and that photograph it should have told us maybe that there was more going on than we realised Long before photographs of awkward handshakes the relationship between Keane and McCarthy had been uneasy. Keane says he fell out with McCarthy as far back as 1992 when the team was touring the US, as he explained recently to Gary Neville. So me and Mick, and I had a follow with Mick in America again, and we said a few Your things fault? to each other. Um, no, not really. Okay, listen, I was out of order, I was drinking, but I was drinking with loads of other lads. Yeah. And what I didn't get, what and again, did hopefully... What happened? No, we'd been drinking, we were late for the bus. Uh, you were late? I was late, right? Okay, I was so late. You are yeah, wrong, yeah. Yeah. I was I was late, yeah. I was late for the beer and, and Jack Charlton was having a go. Jack's the manager. But I didn't want a player having a go at me who's never spoke to me. If Packy Bonner or Dave O'Leary, who probably helped me, were saying, Roy, you know, and I go, Yeah, I take that, but not from somebody who never spoke a word to me and who was shouting at me in front of everybody. So that would have been the start of it. But in between that summer tour to America and Saipan, there had been plenty of other run-ins. Keane was always pushing for better professional standards in the Irish setup, and some felt that undermined McCarthy. At the last World Cup, nobody was expecting much from the Republic of Ireland. They got uh, to the quarterfinals. So, you know, we're not going out there to make up the numbers. We want to do as well as maybe we did in Italy. His unavailability for certain international matches had brought him into conflict with his manager on numerous occasions. Keane also missed Niall Quinn's testimonial on the eve of the tournament, generating more negative headlines. As they prepared to jet off from Dublin Airport to start their World Cup adventure, relations within the camp were already strained. Bertie Hearn was Taoiseach in 2002. Uh, I remember the, the morning, it was election morning, terrible morning, wet morning, ferocious rain, and uh, there had been a friendly the night before, or two nights before in, 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 uh, in the Aviva. I was there to greet the teams, and so I was in the airport to, to see them off, and everyone was in great spirits. Um, I suppose lots of things were written about Roy. I, I sat with Roy um, uh, for a good while that morning because they, they, they were out there quite early and I, I don't know whether the flight was late or they were there too early, but the, um, I, I was chatting to Roy a few times during the morning. And I suppose the thing that I also remind was he, he was on his own. Uh, he sat on his own. Everyone else was chatting and talking. As soon as the team landed in their training base in Saipan on Saturday, May 18th, they knew trouble was brewing. John Fallon worked for Umbro and was a kit man for Ireland. We landed a long, long haul, first class. Very important that we say that. Um, chartered plane, first class then from Japan down to uh, Saipan. And we knew it in an hour or two. See, we had people on the ground, I'm not sure, three or four of them, before we got there for a couple of days. And uh, anyway, they called Mick aside and then the Germans say we're in Schuizen Street, you know. Back to Kevin Kilban. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think there was probably 
a little bit of unhappiness that first of all we got to Saipan regardless of anything the kit hadn't arrived had it so we were we were getting ready to go for our first training session albeit it was a bit of a, a jog and a run I don't think there was anything you know um was anything too strenuous that was actually planned for us when we'd arrived but we were having to go with our um like leisure kit that we'd been given just to lounge around the hotel in because the, the kit hadn't arrived so there was a there was a feeling of i don't know it was just it, i i felt i know that i felt and maybe one or two others that it was just typical of the way that things had gone across the board for us you know i mean i'm talking about in terms of um in terms of you know typical typical us i suppose typical irish that you know kit's not arrived we just got to get on with it that was pretty much it but then when we arrived at the training ground and we saw the facilities and we saw the pitch we realized look come on ah this it was it, i mean it wasn't great it wasn't great at all i think everybody knows it was terrible david marr was working in saipan as a photographer for sportsfile on the first day of training he took a picture that would capture the mood of the ireland captain one of the, the key pictures I remember from that particular period was even before this all kind of started was I, I remember just randomly taking a picture of Roy walking around the pitch um, the day before. Um, I think it was the very, very first session and I'm not sure whether there was any footballs involved or the balls hadn't arrived or some of the gear hadn't arrived or I'm not too sure of the, the full extent of it the permutations but Roy was walking around on his own and he hadn't got a pair of boots on he just had trainers on and he just kept looking at the ground and I just done this wide angle shot of Roy just walking around and it you know that picture was used a lot but you see the pitch and the kit and the skips not arriving accentuated that whatever you thought about well, we'll be going to Saipan to me to me it made perfect sense I mean, the humidity was 80 or 82, so the idea of it, and I'm not talking a mixed behalf, that's the way I read it, was that, yeah, the climatised there, it wouldn't be as intense, and then we'd, we'd move on. We had our journalist night, if you want to call it that. That was out of the way. I see the logic in that. Other people mightn't. It was a terrible facility, terrible pitch that we got. It had never been watered, or it wasn't watered probably in weeks prior to us arriving. So. It was, I think there was a collective sigh, I suppose you'd say, but I, I, I never felt that it was anything that was ever going to break us. There was a real feeling of, you know, mutiny or something like that. It never felt like that to me. And I don't think that was ever the case with, with the players at the time. It was just always with us. We're together, we're here, we get on with it. And that was kind of our attitude, certainly my attitude. And I'm sure that was the case with everyone. It was always that way with us. No bibs, no balls and no team kit. It wasn't the best start to the biggest tournament of their lives, and Keane left McCarthy in no doubt how he felt. Um, the, the training pitch wasn't as good as he, as he thought, and as soon as mixed it out, I thought it must be bad. And um, there was no balls, of course. They should have been there on Thursday or Friday or something. I think this was on the Saturday evening when we got there, or the Sunday evening. I, I couldn't believe it. I really couldn't. Um, that's not being prima donna. It's not being pig-headed. That's just being honest. And I was disappointed straight away with that. I couldn't understand it. I, I couldn't. So I went to Mick's room that night, about half an hour later, and um, I asked him, I said, Mick, well, what's going on? I can't believe it. He says, well, you know, the skips should have been here towards that Friday. And I said, they should have been here two weeks ago. David Marr would capture another image that summed up the gathering clouds on the Paradise Island. Keane arguing with goalkeeper Alan Kelly and goalkeeping coach Packy Bonner during a training session. 
what we're looking at is a is a picture of Roy and in confrontation with uh, with Packy, Packy Bonner, the uh, goalkeeping coach, and obviously didn't really know what was going on we couldn't hear because we were shooting on long lenses and stuff like that but there was there would have been raised voices and stuff like that but it clearly shows that I don't think they seem to be looking for each other's uh, Christmas card list to be honest with you Keane was used to having rows with teammates and staff he believed it helped drive standards but the dynamic between him and the rest of the squad was more complicated back to John Fallon it's hard to describe. Roy is Roy, and like when he's in great form, he's in the middle of it all, and he's he's funny and he's his dry wit kind of can take it apart at times. Um, but now I, I think it's unfair to say he was away from the group. Now the last I remember is he was sitting down on the beach with everybody, and Roy ends up putting sun cream on his back, and he always had his daily walk with Mick Bourne off somewhere. But that was just cleared ahead time, you know. Matt Holland is a former Ireland international. No, I mean, Roy had his moments where he, you know, preferred to be a bit more isolated, I guess. And, and but he was, he, he could be great company as well. You know, he, he was someone that, that could be very engaging, enlightening. Um, he's, you know, I think you see glimpses of it. Uh, well, I see more of it now on, as a pundit, you know, as in the media career that he's built, you see the, the, the sort of, humorous side to him if you like the cheeky side to him which we probably we probably didn't see as often as you know as that because it was it was such a oh, it's difficult to say at this time of the heat of battle for a want of a better phrase with, with what's going on in the world at the moment back to kevin Kilban. i mean he is he's great fun great fun to be around and at other times he wouldn't engage with anybody he wouldn't talk he wouldn't so you know, we we were we know full well that squads and squads and uh, and different groups of people in any walk of life have different characters. And Roy was obviously a, a person who, at any given moment, could go off. Um, he was always so focused on what was on what was going on at the time, and he's he, you know he's winning games and all that sort of stuff. He was he was always engrossed in that. But there were moments where he he could you know be a part of it be a laugh be a joke be be funny be humorous and so he, he can be he can be a very engaging person but at the same time he, he's also very professional and wants to win and he's and he can be pretty tough at times as well it was that conviction that also made him a captivating personality to fans of ireland and manchester united dara whelan was a producer for sports radio show off the ball there was always something i think it's, it's uncompromising about him we always liked those kind of uncompromising kind of figures and I think especially growing up you know you, you, you like a kind of a hero like that that you can kind of look up to that kind of says no this is my way and that's it um, it's interesting as well I don't know uh, my dad was a Liverpool fan I became a United fan my dad thought he was a Cork Gurrier I thought he was a, a legend as a United and an Ireland fan you know we had somebody of this stature he was an Irishman he was one of our own now if he was a dub it would have been better but you know and Keane's drive to succeed was infectious it wasn't like Italia 90. It wasn't like Euro 88. Like, I remember I was following those as well, and I remember those times as well. That was just there as kind of, I oh, sure we're here for the crack, and, you know, let's have a load of points while we're at it. Like, whereas this was, okay, we weren't going thinking we're going to win the World Cup, but it was certainly a sense of, do you know what? We have a chance. The night after his row with Alan Kelly and Packy Bonner, Roy told Mick he wanted to go home. He had had enough before the tournament had even started. But after talking it through with his wife and his club manager, Alex Ferguson, 
He changed his mind. With three minutes to go before the FIFA deadline, Keane opted to keep his name on the squad sheet. Keane cited undisclosed personal problems and a knee injury as his reasons for wanting to leave. Hours later, he had a change of heart. He's training this morning, he's fine, he's in with the lads. They're all gathered around him, they're all together. Uh, maybe these things are sent to try us and what often happens with the Irish team, we strengthen our resolve and we'll be stronger for it. As word seeped out of the camp, the tension between the captain and the manager was dominating headlines back home. At training sessions, there was only one focus for photographers. And for David Marr, there's one image that sums up that time. I've, I've never had covered a training um, session since Saipan where I only concentrated on one player. The one photograph where Roy and Mick, they walk across from each other. Um, I, you know, there was an element of luck and people would say, well, you make your own luck. But, you know, I, I, I had been watching Roy for pretty much the whole session, as I said, and all of a sudden then he was walking and then Mick just walked into the frame and it was like bang, 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 bang. And, you know, you pick out your best frame afterwards, but like literally your heart is pounding because you feel that you've gotten the photograph. You pretty much know that that's the shot that is going to sum up the relationship between those two individuals at that particular moment. Um, and when, when they walk like that and their heads are down, it, it kind of sums up the whole thing. A week of tension, or some would say a decade, came to a head in the team's dining room at the Hyatt Regency Hotel. Roy had given an interview to the Irish Times and later to RTE, where he criticised the team's preparations. He'd also questioned some of his teammates' dedication. This morning, as he declared his intention to retire from international football at the end of the World Cup, he lashed out at the Republic of Ireland's pre-tournament preparation, describing their training pitch in Saipan as shocking. It's not a lot of people say, well, it's typical of Roy, and Roy should really shut up, but I can't, I can't, especially if I'm captain of the team. We come over here, we travel halfway across the world, and the training pitch is a disgrace. Somebody's got, to, somebody's got to hold a hand up and say, it's like training on a car park. But uh, when, we, when we got there, it was so dangerous. Um, I said from the start, I went, there's going to be injuries here. And of course, three days later, there was three injuries. Um, and it didn't surprise me one bit. Mick called a meeting of the squad to challenge Roy. Back to Matt Holland. I think... Well, I mean, there's two ways. Look, I, 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 think, I think that... Roy had lots of valid points. <laughs> you know, you, we're a football team and we turned up without any balls. So, <laughs> and the pitch wasn't particularly good. Um, and so the, the, the points that Roy was raising were valid. You know, you couldn't, you couldn't argue with that. I think it's the, 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 the disappointing side of it from sort of Mick's, Mick's point of view was that he thought he'd dealt with it in a private way. And then it obviously emerged that Roy had done an interview with the paper and, and obviously that's, that's then escalated into 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 what happened um but you couldn't argue with what roy was saying it it, it was it was perhaps the way he went about it maybe that, that upset people the storm clouds were gathering i just knew it nobody spoke to me and i went for my meal at half six on the thursday and i was told there was a meeting at half at seven and i knew what it was all about i knew but just prior to the meeting, just just prior to that meeting, as I said, we were laid down. Roy was sat beside me, and Roy said, "It's going to go off tonight." That's what he said to me. He just, he just, it's kind of a bit of a throwaway line. He said, "It's going to go off tonight," uh, and 
I can't even remember what I said to him. It was something like, what do you mean? He said, oh, it's going to go off tonight. Um, we had we had the meal and we'd been waiting around and then the group came in, the Tijuana Brass Band or whatever they were, very similar lads going one Calamera, but they went from one song to the next song to the next song. And in the middle of it, Mick came in because uh, he hadn't been down for the meal with Ian Evans and Packy, as I recall. And uh, it was kind of uh, trying to usher the band out the side entrance. Johnny, would you tell the lads that were... <laughs> and I'm going, uh, thanks very much, that's lovely. Um, there's the garden, boy. <laughs> and he's finishing the song for us. But anyway, pulled the door. So that mixed art with it. And he had a notebook in his hand, from what I could say, a, a rather large diary, that's the best way to put it. And obviously a copy of the article that had been in the Times. Um, and he just said, Roy, there's an article, and then the rest is a bit vague what happened next. That's John Fallon and Kevin Kilbane again. But I didn't. I don't think anyone within the squad was aware of, you know, that at that, that time that Mick and Roy had had these meetings that, you know, Roy was walking, Roy was back, and all these sort of things. I don't think anyone was really aware of everything, fully what had happened around then. Um, and then obviously when the meeting started, Mick brought in this interview that Roy had done with Tom Humphreys on, on a bit of paper and just said, look, I want to address this. And he, Mick didn't really get too much out. Mick didn't really say an awful lot. He just said, look, I want to address this. I think you owe the players an apology. And boom, that was it. It just kind of went and Roy Roy went. But it didn't, he didn't get past that sentence. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, and then Roy just said... I don't know how it started, but it wasn't. It was calm, grand, which is probably more frightening. <laughs> when the exchange started then, Roy was obviously on my left shoulder. And I, my, my thought when it was going off, obviously when it really started to flare up was, look, they, they, they are absolutely going to come to blows here. There's going to be there's going to be punches thrown and I am certain to get, a, to get a dig within this. So I was kind of preparing myself for these two just to come together and I was going to get a smack. Yeah, it, it was rabbits in the head, like, genuinely, honestly. Um, th there was, say, five tables with ten people at each table. Mick was at the top end. There was a door behind Mick, which was locked. There was uh, glass doors out to the garden of Gethsemane, as we called it, right? So I was, Mick said, we'd sit at the door and it's to stop people coming in and coming out in case the band <laughs> came back and started. And... Uh, I, th I think Stephen Finnan and someone else were sitting close to Roy, right beside him. Um, my big, my big problem with it looking back was, I've seen a lot worse, like physically, not not punches, but coming close to it. And I'm looking and saying, someone's going to say something. Say, can I say Roy shut the up, Roy, or? someone just diffuse it or infuse it or whatever it was but it just went on and I think everybody just went whoa uh, I'd, I'd love to have talked I mean you wouldn't look at your watch and say alarm but it could have been five minutes could have been eight minutes which is a long time when you think if you look at your watch for eight minutes and it was a bit back and forth and Mick kind of said his piece back and it was lost then As per what was actually said that's been the subject of debate for 20 years. According to Roy's account, the real point of contention was when Mick accused him of feigning injury to avoid the second leg of the World Cup playoff against Iran. 
The final straw was when uh, I was accused of being disloyal, fake an injury and uh, going against my teammates in front of everybody and um, I wouldn't accept it and uh, I still don't accept that. But Kevin Kilban doesn't remember it the same way. The constant message that I hear that's coming from that Roy saying Roy was accused of feigning injury, that's the thing that keeps on coming back. Well, I was accused of feigning injury. What, what else would I say? Never once, and I have never once spoken to any other player, any of the other, what, 22 members of the squad or however it was and 15 members of staff. Have anyone ever mentioned that that was said to Roy? I, I, it, was, it was never mentioned. Roy, I think Roy, Roy could have taken the fact is that that Mick actually said to him through that meeting, um, look, I think you owe it to these guys because they went to Iran for that second leg. I think that, and Roy's immediate response to that, I remember through that bit was, look, you had, a, you had an agreement with Alex Ferguson, you had an agreement with him that I wasn't going to go. So whether or not that was construed by Roy as saying, I didn't, I didn't think it was that way. Look, you, you feigned injury to get out and go into Iran. I can see where he's coming from with that, but it wasn't black and white. It wasn't even grey. In my book, it, there may have been the implication, not about the injury, about uh, obviously referring to the second Iran game, right? So it, when we were, got up in the morning, we didn't re realise that we, the staff or players that Roy had gone. And my recollection of it, without trying to involve anyone else, was that Roy had told Mick Bourne, that he was heading back because he had a knee injury. And Mick Bourne told Mick McCarthy. And Mick, if you take it to its other side of it, would have felt, well, why didn't you tell me? I assume, and I'm assuming things, which I, maybe I shouldn't, and Mick was a bit taken aback. So we go to Iran. We did qualify, even though I beat in the last minute. And I, I think Mick referred to that but didn't refer to the injury. I think it was more the procedure. It was more the, well, why didn't you tell me personally? And then Mick was kind of not torn in that. Then Roy was taking it personal and saying, well, you're implying that I wasn't injured. I didn't see that. I didn't take that. But I see where if you wanted to see that, you could see it. I never felt like that was the, the issue at all. Roy always missed games for Ireland. You know, if we had a, a game and a friendly, or sometimes if we had double headers and things like this, there was always, I'm sure, a battle with Alex Ferguson and Mick McCarthy that Roy would miss one of the games. You can have him for one game. And that's how it turned out for that Iran game. You could have him for one game. And he had to go back to play for Man United at the weekend. So he missed our second leg. So that's the overriding thing that comes from that. It's always like, well, you know, whether you're not you're on Mick's side or Roy's side, it's like, well, Mick, Mick said he, he'd feigned injury to miss the game and that was never said. I never heard that said once in that meeting. You know, there's there's also things that said maybe equally on the other side where Roy accused Mick of being an English cunt. And he never said that. Roy never said that to him at all. Uh, he did say you shouldn't be managing my country. Now, whether or not people within that within that room um, misunderstood that, that that's what Roy was saying to Mick, that he called him an English whatever, he never said that. Roy never said that to Mick at all. It was obviously a lot said and, you know, see you next Tuesday, the word was used quite a lot in, in describing Mick, but he never he never called him in English, whatever. Uh, so these are the two things that constantly come out from that. And they both weren't said in my in my opinion. You know, I think I think the, the, the parting uh, line from Mick was, uh, where do we go from here now, Roy? Because it's either you go or I go and I'm going nowhere. I think that's what that, I think that was the last line of it. And Roy just stood up and that was it. He just walked out.
I think there was stick the World Cup up your arse was the last thing, from what I can remember. I'm um, sorry about it, French. At home, the story would dominate the headlines and the news bulletins. Ireland skipper Roy Keane has been sent home from the World Cup. Irish this has been confirmed by manager Mick McCarthy at a news conference. The following a team meeting today inside plans to generate a slang match between himself and Keane. He said he would not tolerate the level of abuse he received, and so the Republic of Ireland captain was sent packing. As Keane went to pack his bags, McCarthy was left to deliver the news to the Irish media. I can't, will not tolerate. Uh, well, not being spoken to that, but the, the, the level of abuse that was thrown at me, so I have uh, sent him home. The quickly arranged press conference to announce his exit would become a major point of contention for Keane. You laugh a shock, sometimes people react differently. Like you sat there and said, did that just happen? Like, And then you dawns on you that he's not going to come with us. Like, and they called a press conference quickly, which I do understand. There was a bit of a, a mixed, but what else could you do? Because the worst thing would have happened was say nothing, go out, get a tip, and Mick Roy's going home, or where it came from, and it's... So they called a press conference quickly, which looked like to the untrained eye, can I put it that way? That I was too quick to be done and all, but you could see how was it going to be, how was it going to get out, who was going to put it out there? So you had to kind of make clear of what happened and what the consequences of what happened was. And that Roy had decided I was going home either way. Back to Dara Whelan. The country just became engulfed in this kind of, suddenly it was like you were either pro Roy Keane, he had gotten sent home by this stupid manager, or, you know, he, he had walked out on his country just before the World Cup because of his stubborn, you know, uh, mentality. So it was literally black or white. There was no no gray area here. Like Roy Keane is a consummate professional and he wouldn't undermine his manager or uh, cause any disruption unless there was a good reason. It's a disaster. I mean, you know, it's not only does it totally diminish our chances of getting through the group, uh, you, you're going, we're going over there and you're not going to see our very best player. You're not going to see the, the team's talisman, the captain. Mick McCarthy was pushed into a corner where he had to look at the big picture. Would the performance of the team be affected when we went out of Cameroon? Where is Roy Keane now? Is he still out in Saipan with the squad? Physically, I, I, I don't know where he is, but I presume he's still in Saipan and arrangements will be made to, to, to take him home. The week on the holiday island had been a disaster. While the Ireland squad flew off to Japan, Roy was left behind to make his own way back to Manchester. David Marr stayed behind to capture one of the most iconic images of the whole episode. Yeah, I, I would have been planning on moving over to Japan with the team um, to continue on preparations for the first game against the Cameroons. But um, So I'm not too sure whether the office made a decision, I made a decision, maybe we all made a decision that like there's no way basically you can leave this story um, so there wasn't many of us. I think there was only about three photographers and there was one camera crew. So, you know, the photographs that that I captured at the airport were probably um, as big as any of the pictures that I ever took um, in, in my whole career, to be honest with you, and particularly the photograph with Roy with the exit sign. You know, if, it, if it's a pictures that, that, you, that you're going to take that's under control, you'd look for the light and you'd look for the background and stuff like that. But 
When Roy Keane is about to leave the island, uh, head back to the UK, and there's an exit sign on the wall, um, you've probably just hit the jackpot, to be honest with you. As Keane and McCarthy turned their backs on each other, the reaction at home was one of shock and deep division between those who believed in Roy and those who felt the manager was right. Coming up on episode two, was there any way back for Keane and McCarthy? Could Ireland's World Cup be saved? Suddenly Nile was pitched centre circle of this row because he shared the same agent as Roy. You know, people said it was like the Civil War, like in the sense of without the guns, like, you know, families divided. I think Saipan was just one big hack up and then it was sadly. Shadows of Saipan was produced by myself, Kieran Lennon, Shane Brennan and Mary Carroll. Recorded by John Smith and Gavin Hennessy. Sound design by Graeme Davidson. Additional storyboarding by Dara Whelan. Archive clips from Independent.ie, Associated Press, Virgin Media Sport, RTE Primetime, RTE News, Off the Ball on News Talk. If you like the Indo Daily, you can follow us on Apple, on Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.